Good morning, everyone. It's a nice, crisp morning today, isn't it? We're glad that you are here and welcome everyone. We are so happy to join together as we worship God this morning, and we are glad that you are a part of our worship service today. We welcome our guests especially. Uh, we're very, you're very important to us, and we're glad that you're here and hope you'll feel very much a part of our family today. Let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask, if you would, to take those and to fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us and just put your name and address, phone number, email address on there, and we would certainly appreciate that. I'd like to call to your attention uh, several announcements that we have. First of all, thank you to those of you who helped spruce up our landscaping this past week. Uh, you did a great job, and we are so grateful, and it is beautiful out there. So thank you for, for all of those uh, who, who participated in that. Uh, uh, Brittany mentioned something last week about the Build-A-Bed <clears throat> um, that's happening this Saturday. And I think some of you are taking, uh, are, are making baskets for the Build-A-Bed. And if you would, you can bring those to, to the church here or to the Volunteer and Information Center, and we'll be sure to get those to the, the proper place. Also, on Tuesday, uh, we will be preparing box lunches for the homeless on Tuesday. And so if you would like to help prepare those, then we will be uh, meeting here at 1 o'clock to prepare those, uh, those meals. And if you want to hang around, what time are we going to be distributing those? Do we know? Is it 3? We'll be distributing those at 3 o'clock. So uh, be here at 1 o'clock to, uh, to prepare the lunches, and we'll be distribu- distributing them at 3. And then on Saturday, <clears throat> uh, the Justice Coalition of Henderson will be uh, presenting a free summit on race, poverty, and inequality at Saturday from 8.30 in the morning until 12.30 in the afternoon. And uh, that will include a keynote speaker from, uh, from Sojourners and also some breakout sessions that we can talk about specific issues. And that's at the Fine Arts Center. And hope that you can be there and be a part of that. Uh, it's, I think it's an important thing for our, our society and for us as Christians uh, to, to be a part of, of issues of justice like this. Uh, not to mention that uh, we also have Upward at the same time. I know we have a little conflict there, uh, but uh, we will cover our volunteers here at Upward, and uh, others may want to go to the, uh, the coalition that day. Also, uh, just to remind you, coming up in a couple of weeks, we have our, our Harvest Festival that's on October the 30th, immediately after the downtown activities. And that's always a treat and a lot of fun as we will be uh, serving chili to hundreds of people here and hosting games and uh, having all sorts of fun with costumes and, and uh, activities during that time as well. It's good to be busy in the name of the Lord. It's good to be a part of uh, many good activities and good uh, endeavors In the name of God's kingdom, let's stand now. Let's sing our song of gathering number 361. We have come into his house.
Let us pray together. Source of life and love, we look to you not only as our great example, but also as our constant companion. When we cannot see beyond the mundane, when our future looks bleak, and in those moments when we find ourselves paralyzed by those situations that are life-depleting, you remind us of your preferred future for our lives. A future of hope and abundant life. When we feel lonely, when our human, human interactions produce pain, and when we find ourselves at our most unlovable, you remind us that we are your children, the recipients of your unconditional love. As your beloved, we yearn to be a loving people a people known for our love of God and our love of neighbor. As such, we come alongside those who we know to be in need. We pray for the sick among us, that your spirit of comfort and healing would descend upon them. We grieve with those who grieve, especially those who have recently experienced loss. And we pray for your peace to prevail in their lives. We seek healing and wholeness in our relationships in our, and in our world. And we pray, O oh God, be our guide. Show us your way to your truth. And lead us to be servants of the world as you came to serve. Amen. Will you join me as we read our responsive reading together? Renew within us, O Lord, a vision of your kingdom, where the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And all of our needs and ancient walls of division are broken down by the fresh wind of the Spirit. Renew within us, O Lord, a vision of your kingdom where the greatest ones are those who serve. And all of our gifts are blessed, not by the power that we wield, but by the grace that leads your call. Amen. my ever 
Our scripture reading this morning is for Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 34. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to set one at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, Do you not know what you are asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to set at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Then the ten heard this. They began paying angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you, but whoever wishes to become great Among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be the first among you must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Fall break is over, kiddos. Not yet. But you know what? Didn't you all have a great fall break? Did you? Did you get some rest? Did you get to sleep in? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, you know what? It's only about five weeks, and then we'll be on Thanksgiving break, and then it's only about another four weeks, and we'll be on Christmas break, and pretty soon 
your year will be over and you're going to be thinking about going to a different grade and you're going to be scared. Like I talked to your sister and she's in eighth grade, so next year she's going to be going to high school. It's scary. It's scary when we have changes in our lives and it's scary when we go to a new place, uh, meet new friends. But I'm going to bring back an old story that we've done before. Some of you have heard it, some of you haven't. This is my favorite little dude. What is that? It's a frog. Think I'd bring a frog to church? Maybe. Do you remember the story I'm going to tell? Have you heard this story before? Frog. How do you spell frog? Very good. F-R-O-G. Listen to this story. Um, Now, you know Miss Mary right here? Do you know where she works? you know what her job is? Do you? What's her job? (laughs) Yes, very good. Her job is basketball because she's here at every upward game, right? I love it. I love it. Well, yes, that's one of her jobs. That's probably the most important job. No, I'm just kidding. Miss, Miss Mary is a chaplain at the hospital, at our hospital here in town. And a chaplain is a person... Um, well, sometimes she goes into everybody's, well, most of the time she goes into everybody's room. If they're sick, she prays with them. Um, if someone's going to lose someone in their family, she prays with them. She does a whole lot more at the uh, hospital than that. But um, she's just the type person that can help somebody get through something else. Does that make sense? Does that kind of explain it, Mary? Okay. She's always there for her mom. But anyway, this is a story about a chaplain at a hospital. I was told a story about a lady in the hospital who was near death when an area chaplain came to visit her, just like Mary goes to visit all the people in the hospital. This chaplain was a very young female with long blonde hair, almost like Miss Mary, only she has short blonde hair. But she is a young, wonderful female. She listened to the lady who was sick, and she left her a small gift for comfort. Hmm. It was a frog. The next day, one of the people from the lady's church came to visit. The lady told her friend about the beautiful young chaplain who came to visit her. The friend was so impressed with the way the lady had improved, and she felt the need to talk to this young chaplain. Now, remember, this lady's sick. She's laying in the bed, and in walks this beautiful lady. And she gives her what? What did she give her as a gift? She gave her a little frog. And so her friend from church came in, and she's like, Oh, this lady feels so much better today just because this chaplain came in to see her. I've got to go find this chaplain. So the friend was so impressed with the way the lady had improved, and she felt the need to talk to the young chaplain. In her search to find the young gal, she was repeatedly reassured that the chaplains are never very young. Now, that's not you, Mary. That's not you, because we know you're very young. But the other people at the hospital said, they said, our chaplains aren't young, and and that there was never a gal that fit the description given. Hmm. Upon returning to the lady in the hospital, a visiting nurse entered the room and noticed the frog. The nurse made the comment, I see you have a guardian angel with you. Now, when I think of a guardian angel, what do you see? Do you see a frog? No. As she held the frog, 
we asked why she made the comment, and we were informed that the frog stood for, usually when you see a guardian angel, you see the little cherub, the little angel. But now when you look at a frog, just like if you see frogs on like our bean bags, and when we have our Halloween fest, we'll pull out, pull out our frog game. This lady said when you see a frog, it means to fully, and that stands for what letter? You said the first letter, F. The next one is what? Fully rely. What's the next letter? On. And what's the last letter? So that kind of makes you, when you guys look at your frog, and I'm going to give you a frog, you can color it here. We've got some other stuff to do upstairs. But you know you can always fully rely on God. So you can use this as your guardian angel when you need a guardian angel. When sometimes you may need a guardian angel. When you're scared, when you're feeling lonely, like Dr. Tim said, when you're sad, when somebody dies in your house, or a loved one dies, and you have to go to their funeral and say goodbye to them. I want to share one more thing before we go upstairs. Um, Most of you guys know that in our house that John's dad passed away in August, and we love Pop so much, and we're, we're still very sad that he's gone, but we know he's not hurting anymore. Well, I want to just tell you, you know, I talk about the way our church family is and how we couldn't make without our church family. Well, there's a gentleman here in our church that does, I think, of Vince uh, Davis because he did beautiful woodwork, too. And he's gone. He went, you know, Vince, remember Vince? He, no. Larry gave you the crosses, Larry McDowell, so you remember your cross. Well, John, my John, my husband who just lost his father, gave Larry an old, old piece of wood, just an old, dirty piece of wood, okay? And this wood, he thought, was about 50 years old. And it was a very special piece of wood because his dad gave it to him, gave it to my husband. Well, John took it to Larry, who made the crosses for us, and he's sitting back there, and he's like, oh, God, I can't believe she's doing this. Well, um, today, Larry came in, and he came up and talked to us, he decided that that ugly piece of wood, he did some research on it, and it's about 150 to 200 years old. And this is what Larry turned that piece of wood into. Isn't that beautiful? So this is an old 200 piece of wood, and you see the word in there? What is that word? Jesus. Do you think that'll be a wonderful reminder of our pop? And losing our pop and to always remember our pop, I do too. So let's thank Larry McDowell very, very much for doing that for our family. Thank you. All right. We're going upstairs now.
Our God, we're thankful for this opportunity to worship together this beautiful fall morning. And we acknowledge that we are a very blessed people and we've been given so much. Encourage us to express our gratitude by granting us humility and a willingness to be of service to others. Open our eyes and our hearts to the opportunities to be a blessing to others this week. Amen. There's a um, wonderful story about the king and queen of Sweden who were attending the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid. They were trying to get into a hockey game featuring the Swedish team, but they were stopped by the ticket taker because the, the tickets that they had in hand were for another day. And so the king told the man that the correct tickets were in his car, and he asked if he could Please make an exception for us. You see, I'm the king of Sweden. And the ticket taker replied, oh, sure you are. And I'm supposed that this is the queen. So the king and queen of Sweden went back to their car to retrieve the, the proper tickets, only to discover that their car was being towed away. I guess it's a little different being the king and queen of Sweden than, say, the Queen of England. I mean, everybody knows who the Queen of England is. Her face is seen all over the place. And so it seems that their job comes with fewer perks. So 
How about your job? Are you at the place that you had hoped to be at this stage of your life? You know, we spend our, our whole lives pursuing dreams and goals, and we aim to go higher and to become greater and to have more perks, as it were. I mean, that's the mark of success, isn't it? And it even affects the, our, our families. We want our children to become doctors and lawyers and engineers, and nobody tries to persuade their children to become servants. What? A servant? Ah, but sometimes God's way baffles human wisdom, doesn't it? In Mark 10, Jesus tells his disciples for the third time about his impending death. He said, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and, and the teachers of the law. And they will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. And then three days later, he will rise. You know, when Jesus said this to his disciples for the third time in ten chapters, he might as well have been speaking a foreign language because his disciples simply did not get it. Even, even two of his closest disciples, James and John, they didn't get it. Jesus predicts his suffering and his death, and they don't seem to be concerned at all about the suffering that he was about to endure. Instead, they are looking out after their own selfish interests. And that's when we come to our passage for today. James and John approach Jesus privately, which tells you something right there. If they approached him about something high and noble, they would have probably done so in front of the other disciples. But no, they didn't do that. This was a different kind of request. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. There's another red flag. If one of your children comes up to you and says, Mommy, we want you to do whatever we ask, you will probably brace yourself because you know that this is going to be a doozy. <laughs> and so Jesus asked, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other one sit at your left hand when you come into your glory. So, so this is the desire of their hearts. This is the desire of their hearts. This is what they want more than anything else. After hearing Jesus' teachings and seeing his compassion for the least and the lowest, they're still on a power trip. They want the places of highest honor and authority in Jesus' kingdom, which they anticipate is about to, ha to happen. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at the left. Now, these were positions of, of authority that they were talking about. And obviously, this was something that they had been talking about at home. In fact, in, in, in Matthew, this, this passage is from Mark, but in Matthew, in chapter 20 of Matthew, their mother 
makes that same request in their behalf. Her name was Salome, which and and some scholars believe that Salome was the sister of Jesus's mother. And thus, she would have been Jesus's aunt. Uh, So that would make James and John Jesus's first cousins. And perhaps, you know, I'm not sure if the family relationship there is, is true or not, but tradition has it. And so perhaps James and John hoped that their family ties would help their cause. Nepotism, they call it. And I'm sure that that never happens in the workplace, does it? And that never happens anywhere, does it? And that never happens in politics or anywhere else, does it? Sure it does. Some of you will remember that after winning the 1960 presidential election, John F. Kennedy appointed his younger brother, Bobby, as attorney general. And the choice was very controversial. I mean, after all, Bobby was only 35 years old at the time and he had no experience in state or federal court. But John, ever the quick wit, said, I can't see anything wrong with giving Bobby a little legal experience before he goes out to practice law. Well, he was he was going to get a little experience, all right, as the attorney general of the of the United States. But the point is that it's not that unusual for someone to use their family or their social ties to get ahead, to cut in line, to be bumped over someone else who may be more qualified than we are. I mean, after all, our goal is to get ahead, right? And sometimes we don't care. Whose turn it is. In this world that we live in, it is a dog-eat-dog situation. And apparently James and John wanted to get ahead too. And they were simply asking Jesus uh, to, to do them a favor. And what they were asking Jesus was not to be chummy with Him. Let us sit at your right hand and your left hand. They weren't asking Jesus to be chummy and to sit close to Him. This was not a request for relationship, but it was a request for power. They wanted to be at the top of the pecking order. And so Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. He said, can you drink the cup that I drink? Or can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And remember, he has just told them what's going to happen. He's on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. Jesus wanted them to understand that in in his kingdom, positions of power did not come according to, to family or social connections. It costs to have a place at his table. And to ask for a place of honor in his kingdom is a request to share in the suffering that that he has been telling them about that is about to happen to him. Paul makes that same point in Romans eight seventeen, when he said, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, he asked. 
And they answered, yes, we can. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Jesus explained that positions of honor in the kingdom of God were not his to give. And maybe in our generation, we would nominate somebody like Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. But God has had many worthy servants throughout the ages. So so maybe that honor is reserved for the, the janitor at your school or your work. Who knows? But Christ indicates there, that there, there are places of honor reserved for those who serve him. So, folks, listen to this. Never think that your service to Christ is in vain. You will have a place at his table. Now, it's interesting what happens next. You see, the other ten disciples heard what was going on and they became furious. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And, you know, I can't help but wonder if they were upset, not because they thought that James and John's request was unfair, but because they didn't think of it. (laughs) Maybe they too harbored those selfish ambitions of grandeur. And isn't it funny how, how sometimes we judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves? The anger of the other ten may not have been motivated by the injustice of James and John's request, but by their own jealousy. And so at this point, in order to avoid and an argument, Jesus calls his disciples together and he reminds them of what it means to truly be great. And he contrasts the notion of greatness in the world, positions of power, beautiful houses, expensive cars, full bank accounts, with greatness in God's kingdom. There's the contrast. And here's what he said. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My my friends, I hope I don't have to tell you That service is at the very heart of Jesus' teachings. His incarnation, His coming in human flesh was, was a most powerful demonstration of that truth. That service is imperative. His death was a demonstration of that. As He Himself once said, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. His washing His disciples' feet at the Last Supper is an indication of of the fact that service is of utmost importance in His teachings. And I want you to think about this for a minute, folks. The great matchless God of all the universe stoops down to become a human being and washes the dirty, nasty feet of His disciples. 
And not only did he do that, but he said that this is what greatness is all about. Jesus himself is the supreme example of that which he is calling us to be. In a humble, lowly form, he came into the world And it was not so that he could be elevated and made to ruler over the Roman Empire. But he came into the world to suffer. And to die for us. He didn't have to do it. But he did it. He demonstrated greatness in his immaculate service to humanity. And that's what Christ wants from us as well. Years ago, there was a provocative story in Discipleship journal, journal about Franklin Delano Roosevelt and a man who served with him uh, named Harry Hopkins. Hopkins was Roosevelt's closest advisor during much of his presidency. And during World War II, when his influence was, uh, with Roosevelt was at its peak, Hopkins held no official position. And that's, that disturbed a lot of people, and Hopkins became a political liability to, to the president. And one political foe asked Roosevelt, why do you keep Hopkins so close to you? Surely you realize that people don't trust him and resent his influence. And Roosevelt replied, someday you may be sitting here where I am as president of the United States. And he said, and when you are, you'll be looking at that door over there and knowing that practically everyone who walks through that door wants something from you. And you'll learn what a lonely job this is, and you'll discover the need for someone like Harry Hopkins, who asks for nothing except to serve you. Winston Churchill rated Hopkins as one of the half dozen most powerful men in the world in the early 1940s, and the sole source of his power was his willingness to serve. Christ is also looking for people whose only desire is to serve Him. And of course, serving Christ means serving those whom Christ loves. In his book titled The Jesus Style, Gail Irwin described servanthood like this. He said, a servant's job is to do all he or she can to make life better for others, to free them from being Uh, To be everything that they can be. A servant's first interest is not in himself or herself, but others. Now, obviously, most people have no interest in servanthood. And one way to avoid feeling guilty over our failure to serve others is to criticize those who do serve. Uh, Mother Teresa is, is, um, is not immune to this. She was sometimes challenged about the effectiveness of her humanitarian ministry. For example, she was sometimes asked, why do, you, why do you give people a fish to eat instead of teaching them how to fish? And her response was, my people can't even stand. They're sick. They're crippled. They're demented. And then she said, when I have given them a fish to eat and when they can stand up finally, then I'll turn them over to you and you can give them a rod and reel to catch the fish. But she was also quick to emphasize, however, that she gave people more than just fish. Because equally important was what came from the heart. Love, 
and joy. The poor, she insisted, deserve more than just service and dedication. She said, if our actions are just useful actions that give no joy to the people, then our poor people would never be able to rise up to the call which we want them to hear. The call to come closer to God. We want to make them feel that they are loved. My friends, there are all kinds of ways to serve God's people, including simple acts of kindness. But of course, sometimes much, much more is required. Even acts of courage. Many of you have seen the movie Schindler's List. Uh, That's a powerful movie chronicling the heroic efforts of a German industrialist named uh, Oskar Schindler. Through his unselfish activities, over a thousand Jews on the trains to Auschwitz were, were saved. You see, after Schindler found out what was going on at, at Auschwitz, he began a systematic effort to save as many Jews as he possibly could. And the way he did this is, for money, he could buy Jews from the the Germans and save them from going to the concentration camp to work in his factory which was supposed to be a part of the German military machine. And on the one hand, he was buying as many Jews as he could to save them. And on the other hand, he was sabotaging the ammunition that was produced in his factory. He entered the war as a financially wealthy industrialist, but by the end of the war, he was bankrupt. And when the Germans finally surrendered, Schindler met his workers and and declared that they were all free to go. And the the most emotional scene was when he said goodbye to his financial manager, a Jew, and a good and trusted friend. And as as he embraced his friend, Schindler begins to sob. And he said, I could have done so much more. He looked at his car and he asked, Why did I have to save this? I could have bought ten Jews with this and saved their lives. And then taking another small possession, he cried, this would have saved another one. Why didn't I do more? Oscar Schindler had a heart for serving and saving others. And that that is what true greatness is all about. At the end of the movie, we see the scene where many... Jews who were saved by Oscar Schindler's efforts were walking by his grave and placing stones upon it. This is a Jewish tradition symbolizing that the memory of this man will never be blown away by the wind. And folks, let me tell you something. There is no act of service to Christ or to those whom Christ loves that will ever be blown away by the wind. It will never be forgotten. Jesus asked James and John, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And then just a few sentences later, he said, you will drink the cup I drink. You will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left... Is not for me to grant. Jesus' prophecy would come true. Tradition tells us that James was the first apostle to be martyred, and John was the last to die after enduring years of persecution. I guess they didn't know what they were asking for. 
But at the same time, they didn't turn back either. And I thank God that they didn't because they played such a critical role in the work of Christ. Their service will not be in vain. And they do have a place at Christ's great banquet. And if we seek Christ's greatness through service to Him and service to those whom He loves, we too have a place at Jesus' table. Because, folks, true greatness does not come from riches or from power. True greatness comes from giving yourself away in service to others. And this is my prayer for each of us here today. May it be so in all of our lives as we give ourselves to the cause of Christ. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn now, number 295, Near to the Heart of God. And this is what happens when you give yourself in service to the cause of Christ and to those who Christ loves. We come near to the, to the heart of God because God looks down upon us in our acts of service and loves us and smiles upon us and is happy to see God's people doing God's work. Let us sing together, Near to the Heart of God. Go from here strengthened in your inner being. Be established in love so that everyone you meet may be, may be touched by Christ's love as you serve one another in the humility and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.